1: Chumba. Chumba Casino has over 100 casino-style games, so join today and play for free for your
0: chance to redeem some serious prizes. No
1: purchase necessary. we are by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, not long after, we get a call from um, one of our local police guys. a Shady character, but either way, he's our character, so um, he calls and says, hey, the, uh, the village is saying that you just killed, killed a couple of kids. Mm. As we're riding through there, everything was so quiet. And like the villagers, they're all sitting there like staring at us as we're rolling through. And the only thought in my mind was there, it was like, this is it. This is when it's gonna happen. And if it does happen, it's because I deserve it. They're going to hide behind women and children. They're going to go into buildings because that's what they want. Dude, these guys can throw a dead Taliban guy in a closet and freaking take a picture of some dead women and be like, boom, it's up, it's on social media. And when you hear the enemy call on the radio, to say that we have so many dead here that it's starting to smell and we can't support like, like we could hear their desperation. Like they knew that they were fucked. I wouldn't say that I had hoped that I got killed that day, but um, I was like already, I would already accept it. I felt like I'd already deserved it.
0: Welcome to Mic Drop, the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant, and we don't give a shit about your
1: feelings. For those who haven't uh, haven't seen or watched an AC-130 pound something, it's like it's it's incredible. Like because of the distance too, you know, you're seeing the you're seeing the you're hearing report, or you're seeing the puffs of smoke and their mismatch, and you're just like just watching a freaking airplane shoot howitzers out of it. And, and they unloaded with everything, everything they had. Um, not all their animals, but like every munition, you know, they put on a show. So I was like super pumped. They're like, yeah, these guys are dead, totally. Um, you know, so I was like, yeah, that's great. So a little while later, my snipers report. They're like, hey, um, there's people going up to the bodies. It looks like, it looks like there's some women going up to them we like, now. We're like, okay, well, let's keep an eye on them, see what they're doing. Um, it's like, it looks like they're trying to hide the weapons. We're like, huh, okay, well, that's weird. not long after, we get a call from um, one of our local police guys. Shady character, but either way, he's our character. So um, he calls and says, hey, the the village is saying that you just killed killed a couple of kids. We're like, no, no, no. We saw it. Like, they were bad guys. They had guns. You know, maybe they were young. Because, you know, in the Middle East, like, when someone says it's a kid, they might be talking about, like, a 17-year-old dude. And we're like, oh, yeah, like... Kid, kind of, but yeah, you know, He's old enough to fucking kill you. Yeah, exactly. So it's like we don't think the same thing when they say kid. You know, maybe they're exaggerating, but like, no, 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 they're saying that you killed some kids. Um, and they, they're all, like, the village is getting upset. Like they're starting to like they're going to want to move in on that position. We're like, oh, okay, fuck. You know, um, I need to get down there. So it, it takes me. I think it was about thirty minutes is what it takes me on an ATV and a Razor to get to that position. So this is where you just bombed out. Uh, this was the Ron site where they were going to like come talk about this situation, you know, that just happened. That seemed like it was fairly benign and you really kind of run of the mill stuff. Um, but in the end it's like, Hey, the villages are security and I owe it to them for the conversation. I'm the commander. I called that strike. I'm going to go there. So, um, I get there and things are already like, everyone's really on edge. You know, our commandos weren't from the area. So they were already like super worried and, One of the biggest concerns we had at that time was also green on blue. In fact, not long from there, not far from there, uh, we had a couple infantry guys just the year prior uh, get killed by their own guys right there in, like, one of these little buildings. Um, So even, like, triggering an event where a guy might decide today's his day to jihad, you know, we're very sensitive to. And that's why we had to maintain a good relationship with our guys. So they would rat those guys out for us. So. Any situation that could lead to that, we had to take very seriously. And this was one of those ones. You know, maybe this is the day that the villager decides that he wants to be ISIS now, and he wants to cack something off while we're all distracted. Either way, messy. So I get there, um, and they're like, hey, these were definitely kids. You know, they're going to bring you the bodies. I was like, don't bring me the bodies. Like, I don't care. Like, I've seen dead guys. Like, whatever. Don't do that. I knew they were bad. You know, maybe if they were young, they were still ISIS. ISIS killed them. We facilitated that transfer, but ISIS made it happen. So um, they're adamant they're going to bring the bodies. I'm like, all right, I guess we're going to do this. So I tell my guys, it's like, hey, you guys just maintain security. Let's be ready to roll out if we have to. Um, but, like, don't yeah, let your guard like down. Ambushed. Yeah, I'm thinking, like, hey, like, don't put your guard down. I'm going to be the head of this. I'm going to handle this part, but you guys keep keep your guns up, you know. So um, this white Hilux truck pulls up. And we were in, like, this is, like, foothills right where the mountains were. It's really like big valleys. Nothing was fast to get out of there. So. This truck pulls up through this dry riverbed, white Toyota Hilux, um, kind of backs up to where we are, and they've got the tailgate down, and I can see um, blankets covering these two bodies, and I'm like, like, all right, great. So um, they walk me up to the truck, and they pull back the blanket, and uh, you know, I see two two actual kids. Um, they weren't exaggerating; uh, they were like. 12 probably like 8 or 9 and um, one thing i remember specifically about seeing them is that they were like everything was really clean you know they were they were fairly pale you know from the, from loss of blood but they were really clean and in that instant like where my mind took it was like those kids faces were they were the same age as my boys at the time um, my kids faces became their faces and like whenever i even think about the story or go back like that's who i see when they do that yeah. And that's the only part they pulled back at first, um, just down to the neck. And when they did that, maybe it was five seconds long, but to me it felt like 30 minutes of just everything was a blur around me. Everything was cloudy. The only thing I was hyper-focused on was just look at these guys. And I was like, oh, my God, I just killed these fucking kids. Um, and then they pulled back the blankets the rest of the way, and that's when it was like, that's when all the chaos happened. Um, like, that's, you know, pretty much dismembered, like, every, every, every limb, um, exactly what you would expect to happen from getting that sort of, a, that sort of munitions, you know, assault, so. But their faces were intact? Yeah, it was the weirdest thing. Like, yeah. So they pull it back, and now they're, like, they're holding up these little kids' limbs, like, holding up a little kid's arm, and, like, waving at my face, because they want to show me just how dead they are, and just how young they are. Um, <laughs> and it's, like, it's, like, really messing me up. But I, I have a job to do at that time, you know? I can't, like, sit there and feel like, oh, fuck, I hate that kids I had to die, you know, whatever. Um, because it's just getting worse and worse. The villagers are getting upset, and the IPs, you know, our police are trying to keep, not IPs, but our Afghan police guys, local police. They're trying to keep them away from our commandos and all this stuff. And, again, I just want to get away from the situation before it turns bad, before someone else has an opportunity to kill off an ambush or whatever. So um, we told uh, we told our guys, like, hey, man, like, we're going to get out of here. I'm sorry that these kids had to get killed, but ISIS gave them those guns, they put them in that position, and that's why this happened. That's the way it is. Blame ISIS, we're not paying for funeral costs. Sorry this happened, we're getting the fuck out of here. Um, so we packed up, and the worst thing about that location, tactically, was the way to get out of there was through this like dry creek bed with like, 30, 40 foot walls on either side one side with some buildings, the other side with just rock outcroppings, but like the worst place to be in an ambush Um, to the point where like I was riding back and I was TCing. So I had a saw, uh, you know, a 249 machine gun on a pintle uh, out the right uh, door on this Polaris razor. And like, I don't even think I could elevate that thing high enough, you know, to really be effective. Like I would have had to dismount the gun to even use it if we got contact from up in the hills. So as we're riding through there, everything was so quiet and like the villagers, they're all sitting there like staring at us as we we're rolling through. And the only thought in my mind was there, it was like, this is it. This is when it's going to happen. Like, And if it does happen, it's because I deserve it. Like I had kind of applied that to myself. I wouldn't say that I had hoped that I got killed that day, but um, I was like already, I would already accepted. it. I felt like I'd already deserved it. Like, It's not to the point where like, if, like, if something kicked off, like I wasn't going to fight back. But, like, I just already kind of envisioned that I was just going to get drilled, and that was going to be the end of my life, and it's because of what I had just done. Like, that would be my penance, and I was okay with that. Um, and, it, and it didn't happen. Yeah. We, uh, we got our way through, <laughs> got our way back to the village, and um, once we got back to our camp, you know, I downloaded my guns and walked into my room where you know, my friend Matt was. He was, uh, he was the team leader. And, dude, I just, I just hugged him, and I broke down. Um, yeah. I was like, dude, what the fuck are we doing, man? Like, I just killed these fucking kids, you know? And like, yeah, like all that emotion just come out right there. And uh, that, that took me years. And, you know, I'm not even fully over that, but, you know, it took me years before I even got help because I didn't realize how much it was affecting me. Even I, I went through subsequent deployments and continued my career, you know, semi-successful from that point. But, uh, you know, mentally, like, I had a lot of struggles with that, a lot of struggles with guilt. And every time I started to do well, every time I tried to get started getting past it, it would get worse and worse because that, that guilt would build. And one of the reasons why I think we have such a tough time in the special operations community is like we don't like other people to deal with our shit. My wife, I don't want her to deal with my shit. I want my kids to deal with my shit. So I would deal with it alone. Um, maybe that means like after everyone's asleep, I would put I would put the music on that I knew would take me there, you know, and, and I would freaking just break down. Or sometimes when I was driving, I'd have to kind of shake it off. Like I would feel my my nose would start to burn and my lip would kind of go there and I would start getting back there and, you know, I'd have to like shake it off because I was like, not now. Like I can't fucking do this right now. Um, And I did that for a number of years uh, before I even like considered talking to somebody. Um, It wasn't until I was driving with my kids, taking them to school, and, you know, my mind started going there and I couldn't shake it away. And... I'd probably driven for five, maybe 15 minutes somewhere around there before I snapped back into it and realized that I'd just driven on autopilot for however long. If anything had been different that day, if a car had pulled out in front, if there was a detour, like nothing, like I would have just gone right into it because I wasn't, like my mind was not driving. I was just, you know, thankfully it didn't happen, but I was like, dude, I could have killed my kids. I could have killed someone else's family because... I'm not handling my shit like I should be. And that was like one of the most telling ones. Like like, I got to fucking figure this out. Like either I need to freaking like, like I'd never thought about taking my own life, but there was definitely times where I was like, Hey, if something happens to me like that would be okay, which is very similar. So uh, I was like, either something needs to happen or I need to get some help because like I I can't fucking do this. So um,
0: would you say that um, when that happened that the, Subsequent days, like, is it something that you thought about
1: every day? No, um, you know, it kind of built after a while. You know, I put it in my pocket. I had a deployment to do. You yeah. know, I had a job to do. I had guys that counted on my leadership, and like, I couldn't sit there and just be a fucking mess. You yeah. know, so we continued the deployment. We had a, we continued to have a great deployment. You know, very successful because I just put that stuff away and I said I oh, will deal with this later. Um, and it, again, it wasn't until. You know, I got home and a couple months later, there's just constantly this, these thoughts just kept coming up and haunting me and thinking about, man, what could I have done differently? Could I have waited? Are we sure that, you know, why did they say that they were males when clearly they were younger? You know, like, oh, all these things that you run through your head. But in the end, I was holding myself back because I just felt so freaking guilty. I didn't even want to get help because I felt like I owed it to those kids to suffer. Like I was the one who caused that. They died. I didn't. So I don't deserve to have a life that's fulfilling. Like I should just be a freaking miserable wreck. Like, so, yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, I'm going to take a a quick break. I I do want to let you guys know um, the way that you can support the show is to support our sponsors. Uh, I know some people don't like to hear ads, but uh, that's how I do what I do for a living. So uh, any support you can show for our gracious sponsors is much appreciated. And, again, it does, uh, does support the show. So thank you. Was there any after action from an investigation standpoint, even if it was in-house or non-official, like where you talked to the AC-130 guys that, that told you that, was there any follow-up internally?
1: Yeah, I had asked. Um, I said, hey, can can you just please confirm for me like what this one? They were like, yeah, man, like, we've got the tapes. Did you watch them? You know, no, I never watched them. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that would have changed anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we were always like pretty sensitive to that. Like we we had a couple airstrikes where we killed like you know a bunch of people in one. Where it's like, hey, this one looks a little bit shorter. Okay, let's hold off. Let's see if the, he separates from the crowd. So we were always like really diligent, in making sure that our munitions killed who we wanted to kill. Um, yeah, and it's just this one, what they saw, and wasn't quite accurate. Yeah, um, I'm sure it's not the first time that's happened. It's probably happened a thousand times. You know, yeah. but uh, yeah, I know. mean, even on our own guys, sometimes. Yeah, know? so.
0: Uh, no, I mean that, that's one of the harshest, most grim realities of war. I think is yeah. is collateral damage, you know, yeah. um, and it's it's
1: tough. Yeah. No, no, two ways about it. Um, and it, it's to reinforce too is that like people need to understand that evil does exist. Like we think that oh, only in the movies people would be that evil or only whatever. No, there are people who are truly evil. Yeah, there's people in the United States who are evil. There's people all over the world that are 100% evil who don't care about you, don't care. They don't want to talk to you. They don't want to. You yeah. to come counsel them and to not, like, they're evil people who will do evil shit. Yeah. And, you know, Yeah, that 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 exists, that is reality, you yeah. know. Yeah.
0: And I think that the tough thing about environments like that, whether it's, I mean, I've had guests on that were in original Somalia and, you know, Black Hawk mm-hmm. Down Somalia and, and the shit that they did with women and children there using them as shields and yeah. putting them in, in impossible situations like kneeling, like having a woman stand there with her legs in, in a V and, and them kneeling between her legs with a barrel sticking yeah. out lighting up guys and, and they have no choice but to fucking gun both of them down.
1: Yeah. And you that's know? that's something as a leader that, you know, Yeah, I had to, because I, I knew what I was going through, especially on, <clears throat> on our next deployment. And I had to tell the guys like, hey, like this is their MO. Yeah. They will fight and then they're going to go into a house where there's women and children. Mm-hmm. And then when you kill them all, they're going to take pictures of the women and children and that's going to go hit social media. Yeah. And that's what they're going to do. That's their MO. It's way more effective than anything else they can do is yeah. they can build more people and recruit better if they think that we're out there killing women and children. Yeah. So yeah. it's telling the guys, like, look, you need to understand that if you fire that shot that kills a woman that they're hiding behind, that they killed that person. Like, yeah. they are responsible for the deaths of every single person that they hide behind, mm-hmm. and that, that's the message that needs to be. And you can't hold back and not fire yeah because of that and it sucks it yeah. sucks to ask a guy to do that sure you know do you feel like you're past it now i feel like i am as past it as i've ever been yeah um or it's I, reconciled yeah. yeah i i passed the, the major hurdle for me was realizing that i could still be successful and i could still live a, i could remember the situation and i could honor that by by kind of sharing the message but that doesn't mean that i have to hold back yeah. Um, you know, cause, cause from the time that happened until I started getting, getting help, like I was always just, I feel like 70% of myself, like I was never like, anytime I started to do really good, I just felt like it, my, my, I'll call them episodes. I hate to call it that, but I guess that's what it was like would ramp up. Yeah. So I kind of tied the two and two together. It was like the worse I'm doing, the less I deal with this, you know, yeah. as far as how well I'm doing. So, um, it wasn't until a buddy of mine who had been getting help. I didn't even realize, um, he got medically retired for PTSD And he was like, yeah, man, you know, my wife told me that I just wasn't who I was before. And, you know, he started mentioning all these things that I'm just going through very similar things. And he was one of the snipers uh, during that event also. So he had that. And then also, you know, he had done some very close, uh, close quarters um, kills as well that I think bothered him uh, because however that situation played out. But either way, um, he was getting retired for it. And he was like, dude, you need to talk to somebody like, you know, I was like, well, it can't be PTSD because you know, like, I still like fireworks and like all this other stuff. It's not like the stereotypical PTSD. He's like, no, like you should talk to this person. So I did, and dude, those were those are some of the most difficult conversations because it's not like you get to go in there and they tell you everything's gonna be fine and it's not your fault. Like it's not how it goes. Like you're gonna go in and you're gonna tell the story as if you're there again. You're gonna tell me what you what you smelled, what you saw, what you felt, your feelings. You're gonna relive it over and over and we did that every week for a couple months um where i had to live through this thing every single week and it would like wreck me and, yeah. and it started getting easier and it started getting easier um earlier this year if you'd asked me to talk about this on this show i'd have been a mess right now like, yeah <laughs> yeah um and i still get a little emotional about it but like i'd be a freaking ball ball of like snot and tears and shit. so like um i got past that and once i was able to tell the story we got to the point to where she was like, you you assigned yourself that day, you assigned yourself guilt, and you refused to take it away. And every time you thought you were getting better, you would go even further into the guilt train. And we finally got to the point where it's like, hey, look, like, you can still honor their memory. You can still, you know, you can get past this, and you can still be successful. So that's yeah. that's where ultimately we got. And, yeah. um, you know, I'm not going to stop getting help. I'm still going to see occasionally, just kind of like tune-ups, I guess you can call them it. Sure. But, uh, but, yeah, yeah. Um, That, like, the the entirety of my career after that was all kind of dealing with stuff underground with nobody knowing about it. So, yeah.
0: Do you have any idea beyond what you've already mentioned in terms of the the technique? Were there any, I hate to use the word buzzword, but, you know, like, there's brain spotting and EMDR and, like, all these different kind of uh, therapeutic concepts that are used in, in...
1: psychology that yeah do, do you have any I'm idea? not yeah I'm not sure um you know I think she did she had kind of a general diagnosis you yeah. know like a like a chronic PTSD diagnosis but I, I don't know like specifically yeah. was she a, like a PTSD specialist yeah 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 she's behavioral health yeah. and then some of that tied in because I was at the same time I was going to the that center for TBI stuff because yeah. um, I was like yeah I do have a lot of issues with short-term memory now that I didn't used to have and like and uh, as, they're def- as they're realizing more and more that TBI is not just necessarily, hey, you got your bell rung hard one time, and that was it. He's like, no, like you're a prolonged career of eating door charges or being around RPGs or shooting off like freaking like multiple Carl, Carl G's, Gs yeah. freaking yeah. like inside of a Connex apparently isn't good for your brain. So, yeah. like, um, yeah. you know, so it was like a multitude, you know, of, of PTSD and TBI at the same time. Yeah. Um, which is, again, why, why I'm. At the beginning, I was talking about the book I was reading because like, I'm, I'm yeah. very interested in the brain health and where we're going with that. Now, sure, so. yeah, fascinating. Yeah.
0: Uh, have you talked to your kids at all about that day? Have you told them about it? No. Do you plan on uh, having that talk with them at some point?
1: Um, I mean, I know they're still pretty young. To I'll just give them the link. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I talked a little bit about it with uh, with Greg Anderson when I, when I was, he was the first podcast I ever did. Yeah. Uh, I talked about it there, so they're open to hear it. you know, and they can ask me about it, but I'm not going to sit them down and, and talk through it with them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh,
0: Is it something where you still think about it a fair bit now or are you? Mm,
1: Definitely not as much as I used to. Um, And it's different when I think about it now, you know, it's not, it doesn't feel like an attack. It doesn't feel like I'm going to shut down, but I'll think about it. I don't get a little emotional about it. And then I'll kind of like go back into what we, we would do. And, and you know, my, my talks with my behavioral health lady and, um yeah it's it's not as debilitating anymore yeah
0: yep. have you spoken with your wife or your dad about
1: it never talked to my dad about it i don't think i will yeah um send him the link I'll send him the <laughs> link. yeah he's <laughs> free he's free to listen to it <laughs> if he wants my wife so she actually got a glimpse of it one time we were about to go on our second afghan deployment things were a little rocky at home and because we we're about to deploy again uh, so we decided to go to this pre-deployment marital counseling thing. Just like, hey, let's just go here and let's just kind of see if this helps because we know this is about to suck. Um, and it kind of came out a little bit in that you know she was talking to me and I was like, yeah, I guess there's just one thing where I kill these kids and it like messes me up occasionally and I kind of like start tearing up a little bit.
0: Was that the first time she had ever heard? It's the first time my wow. wife had ever heard Dude, what that. What a fucking bomb to drop. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, did, we're still she, on the did she like? Show and look at you. Nah, like I the, think she just started crying. Like she oh, wow. was like get emotional about it. So, um, but the lady was like, she's like, yeah, she's like, yeah, I mean, work can be tough. So anyway, wow. <laughs> like, okay. And Moving I guess, on. I guess that's also why I never decided to get help for such a long time because I had kind of reached out a little bit. And I just got, yeah, war can be tough. And I was like, well, fuck it, I guess war can be tough. And I'm just being a wuss right now, so wow. uh, I'll just drive on. So <laughs> like, they kind of shut me off. I, like the, if if there were any walls that were coming down, they were now reinforced and they were yeah. doubled in size. You yeah. know, wow. Um, so yeah, like I kind of I tried a couple times. Um, you do these surveys after deployment that just says like, hey, uh, is everything okay? You know, whatever. And like I remember for the first time, I actually checked the box. It'd be like do you want to talk to somebody because, you know I was like, yeah, I want to talk to somebody because I like break down occasionally about this thing. And it was like, after that deployment. It was after the first deployment yeah. still, still before the next one. Yeah. And uh, like it never went anywhere. So I was like, okay, I'm just, I'm just going to suck it up because war is tough. Wow. You know? So <laughs> like,
0: that's fucking terrible.
1: Yeah, it is. And that's I mean, why, like, f- yeah.
0: why are you going to ask if you're not going to do anything about
1: it? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like, maybe she, we just didn't mesh well or maybe she, was listening but not listening and just going through, and, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Wow. Uh, but yeah, like now when I mention that, people are like, holy crap, like they just totally missed that. I'm like, yeah, I like went out and said it and like <laughs> I was ready, I opened my arms, I was ready to get help. Yeah.
0: I mean, on yeah. the on the army side of with the questionnaire, if you're checking a box like, yeah, I'd like to talk to somebody and yeah. they never follow up, like what the fuck?
1: Yeah, because you always think, especially <clears throat> as it's it becoming more and more prevalent, they were like, hey, we really care about mental health. Yeah. Hey, we really want you to go get help. Yeah. So then I was like, when I tried, uh, I was like, Oh, is this just talk? Like, yeah. Yeah, like asking do for we really help c- isn't
0: weakness. Well apparently it is. Yeah, it's, it's like
1: do we really care about this? Because yeah. what you're telling me is you want us to talk, you're not gonna kick us off teams, and it's okay. And it's just like, oh, maybe you know, maybe someone else's experience is my different that's only my experience. Yeah. It's, yeah. You know. Yeah. So uh yeah, man. So
0: So you you had to drive on with that deployment. Yeah. Um it sounds like it was largely buried for the rest of that one and yeah. you, and just what was their Significance in the rest of the deployment or was it pretty same stuff run-of-the-mill? No, it was
1: kind of the same. It was kind of the same stuff, you know, cat and mouse and fighting ISIS and all that. And then, uh, you know, it actually ended up being um, really good towards the end because we moved up. We were now at this other camp, and now we were doing counter Taliban for the last couple months of deployment. And um, the team leader, he went home. He had the birth of a child. So I was now the detachment commander, which was just incredibly fun for what we were doing because... We were going to hit this um, this village that was like, you know, it's like it's intriguing when someone says, "Hey, nobody goes in that village. If you go in that village, like you can get decimated." And that's just like, okay, cool. If that's what they think is going to happen, let's let's challenge that. Not in like a uh, not like, not in like a uh, negligent way, yeah. but in like, okay, let's crack this code. Yeah. Because if somebody has a hubris about something. Yeah. you can be exploited. It's so like the um,
0: sh- South side of Chicago, no go zone for police. Like, yeah. well, that's where we're fucking going. It's then. Like, cool, man. Let's yeah. see,
1: let's see if they really mean that. So, yeah. um, we had, man, it was just like, it was like when all the pieces come together so well. So we did multiple operations in valleys that were, um, cause if you kind of view it as like fingers and valleys, um, and each one of these valleys is like littered with a couple buildings or whatever. And they lead into the major, uh, the major route where all the buildings are. So, we started hitting these valleys from South to North, like one, two, three, we would land in, do a, uh, do a helicopter info um, and go fuck these places up. So we were pushing the Taliban into this valley, further and further into the one that they said, you don't go to. Well, then we did an operation where it's like, hey, we're going to go there and we're going to partner up with the conventional guys. We're going to partner up with the, um, the three letter agency and their partner force. And we're going to go through and we're going to, like, we're going to fuck down this valley. And in the meantime, we had also partnered up with our conventional counterparts that were advising the uh, Afghan military, the Raider guys. And it was like, it was like all the pieces that should be playing together played together. Like, soft went in, we went in at night, we gained the ground, conventional came in during the day, held the territory, gave us the opportunity to move further, and we did, like you know, multiple day operation and we went through and we freaking tore that valley up, like kept pushing further and further back. And it was just, you know, with the way that that went down, like um, afterwards, it was me sitting with like the the TAC East general and the chairman, Joint Chief of Staff, Dumford at the time. Uh, He came and like, they wanted to hear the brief. They were like, this, this is the answer. This is how it should have been the entire time. Like this integration the thoughtfulness and like setting the conditions for a major operation, retaking territory, like all this stuff. He was like, this is the first time since I've been involved in Afghanistan. And I feel like it looked right. Wow.
0: And this is 2016. That
1: 15? was been yeah, 16 or 17 right around there. Yeah. So it was like, wow, these guys who've obviously been idea. involved. were like, man, this is the way. And we're like, great. We did something. That's the way. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously that's not the way things went, but at yeah. the time, yeah. it looked great, you know, yeah. and it was really rewarding. So, yeah, we had a, we had a kick-ass rest of a deployment, um, really beneficial, you know, captured ground that nobody was able to capture for a long time. And uh, that was it, yeah. So that's how, that's how the rest of that one went. It was great, you yeah. know. Yeah. Wow.
0: Um, so you came home. Yeah. Um, were you of the mentality or mindset that, I guess, first, how, how long were you home before you had to redeploy or deploy
1: again? Um, somewhere between a year and 18 months or so, because I was back in 2018, so not long. Yeah.
0: yeah. In, in that time that you were home, did you still squash the, the feelings that you had from, from that? Was that yeah. you <laughs> knew you had to go back and just continue to bury it?
1: Yeah, I think it was almost, it was I was passively doing it just because I was so busy. Like, yeah. I got other shit to worry about. You know, I don't have time to deal with this stuff. Yeah. Um, so I just, wherever I shoved it when it first happened, like I shoved it pretty far down because yeah. it didn't really start surfacing up much until like, after I was done deploying, yeah. and I guess I guess it's like you get stagnant, and all of a sudden you've got time to think and you have time to process. And all and that, my yeah. body said, "Hey, now it's now it's time you have yeah. to visit this." So, yeah. yeah, even even the my next deployment, um, I don't I don't think I don't think it really caused much of an issue. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. So you guys went back to Afghanistan.
1: Yeah. So back
0: to Afghanistan. But now you're fighting Taliban.
1: Now we're fighting Taliban. It's a whole but different ball game. It's a different ball game, but we're also. What set the conditions for it to be really strange was that this was when we were doing the negotiations. So you remember in Qatar, we had, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was like, hey, this is who Trump appointed as, like, he's the negotiator, and the Taliban had their heads over there. So we were in a mission set where every single thing that we did and every single thing that the enemy did was directly contributing to the negotiating power of their representative. So on one hand, we had to show that we could dominate anywhere we wanted, and that we could do it without getting hurt. On the other side, they wanted to be able to show that they could still take a district center, you know, they could still overtake a town, or they could still cause casualties to conventional forces. So that was the balance. Those are the big negotiating chips, you know. So when your mission set is we want you to apply maximum pressure, we want you to kill a bunch of dudes, but do not get hurt whatever you do. Yeah. So now you're like, Well, you're asking me to do two things here, you know, because the more kinetic and the more violent we get, the higher risk there is of a bird getting shot down or frickin' guys getting stitched up on landing. So, like, as a mission planner, you're going through and trying to fit these exact parameters. Okay, what are the chances we can get here and we can actually get them to fight us, but we don't want them to fight us too hard because we want to kill guys. So it's like, it was a really weird game. And every single, like, when you do an operation... You would have Comcam with you, and they would do the BDA, and that's why they wanted those pictures so they could say, "Hey, we are we are fucking down the Taliban left and right," which is why you need to come to an agreement here. Same thing the Taliban's doing; like they would go find a district center or whatever that was like super far away that there's no way we would get to, and they'd go take a district center, be like, "Look, we took a district center Taliban flag here," so you know, yeah. so we're not going to negotiate; we still have power. So that whole that whole deployment was all based off of supporting a negotiation. Um, so a really weird mission parameter on, like, yeah. yeah. Hey,
0: very, very specific and not very, as black and very white. Very
1: specific. And yeah. that's that's when, you know, I was telling before, like telling guys, like, look, they're going to they're going to hide behind women and children. They're going to go into buildings because that's what they want. Yeah. Because they can remove bodies and take pictures and push them up way faster than we ever can. Like, yeah. we have to get approval for shit. <clears throat> you know, when ComCam takes a picture, then they got to send it to these people. Jag has to look at all this stuff dude, these guys can throw a dead Taliban guy in a closet and frickin' take a picture of some dead women and be like, boom, it's up, it's on social media. Yeah. Instantly, yeah. you know, and we'll never be as fast as they can because we have too many steps involved. Right. You know?
0: I want to take a second to talk about something near and dear to my heart, and that is a staunch supporter of this podcast, which is Bub's Naturals. Uh, the hat sitting in front of me uh, here on our coffee table here in the studio belonged to Glenn Doherty. His nickname was Bub. Uh, I did two platoons with him. And his childhood best friend uh, and another colleague of theirs, uh, Sean is the best friend, TJ is their colleague, uh, started Bub's Naturals, which is a collagen and MCT oil company uh, in Bub's or Glenn's honor. And, um, you know, for me, it's, it's uh, an absolute honor to be sponsored by and working with a company that, um, you know, was started in the honor of one of my closest friends and, and a guy that I went to war with. And uh, you know the the Bubs brand is not only super quality, um, you know, collagen uh, collagen powder as well as MCT oil powder, um, you know. But they also give back to the Glenn Doherty Memorial Foundation. Uh, they donate proceeds from their product sales to the Glenn Doherty Memorial Foundation, which uh, you know to me just furthers uh, you know the the mission set. On Veterans Day, they give a hundred percent back. So. Uh, I do believe it's the best collagen on the planet. Uh, I like to mix it in with uh, morning coffee. The MCT oil powder, the same thing, uh, mixes in very easy. It tastes great, uh, and it just kind of adds everything that you want to start your day off from a brain health standpoint, from uh, joint support, gut support. Um, you know, MCT oil and collagen are, are two components, especially as as we age, uh, that are integral components to uh, to health. And so uh, to be able to work with Bubs Naturals and, uh, be able to, to work with them and, and sponsor a product that, uh, number one is a high quality product. And number two is, is so near and dear to, uh, you know, to my heart and to the mic drop podcast for, for who it, uh, was started for and what it stands for. Um, you know, it's just, uh, it's an amazing, amazing place to be. So, um, it is whole 30 approved. Um, it's uh, sport certified, so you're not uh, going to run into any problems with that. Um, and I will say that, um, you know, right now they're, they're offering uh, 20% <clears> twenty percent <throat> off if you go to bubsnaturals.com and uh, use the mic drop code. So uh, I really highly encourage you to, to try it out. Incorporate it into your day, day-to-day for joint health, for brain health, uh, for cognition, for gut health. And, uh, and to support an amazing organization that does a lot of things uh, in Glenn Bubb's honor. So uh, go to bubbsnaturals.com. Mic drop is the code, 20% off. Uh, removing ourselves from and, and kind of looking at your entire career from a 30,000-foot view, you served under Bush, Obama, Trump, and Biden for a little bit, right? Or, or yeah, you, I mean, yeah, I mean, really the, the kind of, bit. yeah,
1: I was already kind of like cruising out yeah. um, under the Biden. Yeah. Uh, but I
0: guess, like, did you notice on active duty? Because I, you know, my time uh, was under Clinton and and Bush the entire time I was mm-hmm. in. You know, the entire time, all of Bush's presidency and and half of Clinton's. But yeah. <clears throat> um, as an operator operating during the transition of administrations, that way, yeah how cognizant were you in terms of, of the, the impact of the day to day, whether it be morale funding, ROEs, those types of things. Like were you guys hyper cognizant of, of that? And, and could you notice a difference between who, who the president and the administration is and and how did that all shake out?
1: Yeah. Um, I could, and I wasn't really that into it, you know, beginning parts of my career, you know, again, that was, that was Bush. We were going to Iraq. We were, you know, just like the water bottle, we're here to bring you freedom yeah. whether you like it or not. You know,
0: golden cruise box, blank check for everything. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, exactly. So that was the beginning of the war. So it was like, it was pretty permissive at that point. Um I will say that being in Afghanistan when Trump was president, I felt like we were there to win. Like the first time I felt like I was there to kill ISIS and I was going to have all the tools that I wanted to win. Mm-hmm. And then even in the second time when it was like, hey, we are working to get out of this country. We are negotiating to legitimately get out of here in a reasonable, well thought out way. And I felt like we were working towards something. So it's like, almost felt like there was a connection, but like, hey man, this guy's like, you know, like, I don't know, if, obviously Trump doesn't know who the fuck I am, you know, but like, uh, yeah. um, I, I felt like there was no, I don't know, there was no outside influence. It was just like, hey, we're here to close a deal. Yeah, You know, we're here to, we're here to end this country and everything you're doing is directly making it to negotiation team to make this thing stop yeah. at that point. We're like, dude, like I think most guys, I think most guys are like, Hey man, like what, what we were doing in Afghanistan, like it was time to be done. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not completely out, but it was time for it to be different. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't going anywhere. And the time I really saw that, and this will go back to the kind of just one short segment on the first deployment, just because a mental realization, because I think it's, it's valuable for guys to see. Um, I think where we really messed up in Afghanistan is where, as soon as we put a Burger King there, like, once we made it so comfortable and so profitable for people who weren't doing the fighting to be there, we entrenched ourselves. And I remember specifically one time I was, like, I was, like, super disgusted because we were flying out of the valley. And, like, these big bases, this was into, like, Jalalabad or whatever, which isn't even a huge base, but they have civilians who run the the flight's in and the flight's out. They know every helicopter that's supposed to show up and who's supposed to be on it, and it's, like, very regulated. Everything's wrote for them. You know, the Afghanistan might as well be freaking another other side of the world to them because they live on this base, they make a shitload of money, and that's all they care about. So we had just lost a guy um, on one of our other teams. Uh, he, he took a sniper round, and, and it was a good friend of mine, uh, Steve Kriven, and uh, he got killed. So we were all fucking super angry about it. And I remember... We flew back into J-Bad, you know, at night on Blackhawks that weren't on the list of birds to show up. We were coming out of the valley, so we looked like shit, and we all looked like what we were doing, which was living in the fucking Wild West. And, like, I remember getting off the bird and walking up to that counter because we needed to get, like, a room for the night. And just the flack that we got, like, we were wasting their time. Like, they were just sitting there jaw-jacking about football or some bullshit, and they were like, do you guys need something? It's like, what the fuck do you mean? Do you need something? Yeah, clearly I'm here. Like, I need something. You know, you're here to facilitate something. And it's not the shit on people who are, like, doing support jobs. They were civilians, but it's like, like, I'm sorry I'm interrupting your football conversation here, but there's a war outside the gate. Um, So I got there, and they were just like, well, we didn't see you guys on the roster. It's like, you're not going to see us on the roster. But obviously we're here. We just need a place to stay for the night. And it was just like, like the realization of how disconnected the entire mechanism of like support was, was just like, dude, there's, I, I just thought right then and then, I was like, this is why we're still here because it would take billions of dollars and months just to collapse this system. Like to truly like collapse everybody out of here, like responsibly, we've, we've, we've invested so much that we can't do, there's no easy way out now, yeah. like we're fucked. Um, and that's kind of like where, yeah, like, I, I think that was my big realization. It was like, dude, we, we messed up. We made yeah. it too comfortable for people who don't fight to make decisions. Yeah. You know, and be here and be super profitable. Yeah, exactly. Like people make a lot of money and I, I truly, I hate to say it, but I truly believe that a couple, a handful of American lives every month is totally worth it to the people who are making the amount of money that they make.
0: It's, yeah. I mean, their, their actions prove that clearly that's the case. Yeah. They're like, know? yeah,
1: so, so, so a couple special operators might die, you know, every couple months, whatever, yeah. but man, we're like doing really well here. Yeah. I really think that's a true thing. And it, it's, it it's for sad sure to see.
0: Yeah. No, for sure is. I mean, you can tell for that matter, I mean, you can see what's going on even in Ukraine, which, yeah. um, you know, like it's, it's pretty clear cut, you know, the, the reasons behind why the support that's there is there. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's uh, it's misrepresented and I think in so. terms of how it's sold to, to the American people. Yeah. Uh and, and I think that's the case, uh, and has been the case for a very long time. You yeah. know, uh generations.
1: Yeah. And you know the big the big selling point was always like, Hey, we're fighting over there so we don't have to fight over here. And now granted there are there are entities where that is true. True. Sure. And, you know, especially foreign fighters or well-funded organizations that want to do terror attacks. Well, it's a lot easier to send them over to some country and fight us there. I get that. That yeah. is a true thing. But if you're going to tell me that this freaking like 19-year-old booger eater is going to fly to America and yeah. shoot a place up if I'm not there killing him, Yeah, I don't yeah. know, man. Like, so. I mean,
0: that, that's a convenient bullet point bordering on bumper sticker you know, that that's really easy to just throw out as a blanket statement to justify everything. Yeah. You know, and and to me it's not that fucking simple, you know, Um,
1: like here, here's the, here's how do you crack the code account for the money? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Show me where my, show me where my money's going Yeah. and who it's going to. And I can tell you if it's legitimate or not. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but and, until they're willing even on that front not to get too like wildly political there but um, no i mean that, that, i mean
0: that's the reality what, yeah, like, again whether it's afghanistan iraq yeah. ukraine fucking wherever like yeah. if you're if you're not gonna, it then. yeah
1: if you're not going to show me the whole story yeah. or if you're if you're truly legitimately believe that every dollar we're sending over there yeah. is going just to protect the sovereignty of that country Great.
0: Yeah, and I and I was I would say this, at least in the interest of consistency, if you're not going to do that there, yeah, then don't fucking audit me for a six hundred dollar fucking Venmo purchase. Yeah. You know, exactly. Like that that shit Yeah, our our government's got it completely fucking ass backwards. <laughs> yeah, insane.
1: But, um Well look at what they're you know, look at um you know, you know Mike Glover. Oh yeah. Yeah, again. I mean labeled
0: a fucking domestic, domestic terrorist terrorist. Yeah, it's,
1: like it's you, absurd. You've now created a situation where your most patriotic guys like guys that have killed for, bled for, and watched their friends die because they love this country so much. And given parts of themselves for. Given parts of themselves for, the government now considers those guys domestic terrorists, which I think you have to wonder, if your special operators who specialized in unconventional warfare, insurgencies, and toppling governments, who are the most patriotic group of people this country has ever had, if you're going to tell me that you're afraid of those guys, like you have to do some self-reflection and wonder like what's the saying like are we the baddies? Yeah I don't know, man like if yeah. you're worried about your most patriotic guys, yeah maybe you maybe should you, should, look in maybe the you should think about why you're worried about them because yeah. these dudes love the country yeah like, these dudes will fight for the country continuously yeah I mean that, so, yeah that's, that's why you know, they are worried about them yeah um, yeah, that's a great point um, so
0: going back to that uh, kind of the Taliban deployment, the second Afghanistan yeah. deployment any highlights from that I know you did. It was very strategic and specific, but any, any
1: kind of, yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess like if we want to get, we bring it down to the tactical level because it's yes. always, it's fun to talk about and yeah. people like to hear, you know, the fun them stuff. So, um, yeah, we did a, um, we did a prison raid, which again, like, you know, go back to always, every time I felt like validated and stuff, it's always has to do with like when I've really helped people and like when, you know, so, um, this one was really intriguing because it was in an area that again, Hey, nobody goes there. But the reason we wouldn't go there is because, because of the situation we were in, we weren't allowed to do an operation that was outside of a certain medical time response. And again, because of that, we didn't want guys getting killed. So that was one of the risk mitigators that was put in place for us. So Taliban knew that. So they would say, well, here's this base. Here's how long it takes for a med bird to get around there. So they knew it too. Um, so they generally knew that if they were in an area, they'd had freedom of maneuver. You know, except maybe not for like a drone or something, but for the most part, they could do what they wanted to do. So uh, we were like, all right, we know that there's a prison here. We've been watching it. We can see what's going on, and uh, it's like true Taliban territory. So how do we do this? How do we crack this nut? So we set up to pre-stage some birds at a different location. So we went in, held like a former, you know, Afghan army base, set up a FARP, you know, got all the conditions set to where we've now extended our ring into that area just Barely, we got it into the ring so we could get approval to do the operation. So we're like, oh, heck yeah, man. So, um, so yeah, we got approval. Get on the birds. Um, two CH-47s. And I loved, um, like I was, a, I was always an element leader on that for like a, you know, one of our maneuver elements. And one of the best parts about that, like just like total Hollywood movements. I love getting on the helicopter. I love counting my Afghans on. And I love standing there at the ramp as we take off, you know, you know, M4 slung down, standing there and just watching the world disappear, you know, looking back in the dark or looking under nods and just seeing all my commandos and my couple guys that are with us just ready to hammer down like yeah. super Hollywood stuff. Like yeah. I really, really enjoyed it. And, you know, that's part i always miss. I always, always miss the fighting. I always miss like the, that stuff. Yeah. And um, so we're getting ready to land. Um, We're doing a not an offset, but we're doing like a split infill between uh, our element and their element Uh, We were gonna land and we're gonna take control of the northern part of this small little village uh, Pool security and then once the other element was set we were gonna go in and breach the wall and and do the actual prison portion ourselves. So we land um, Almost instantly we get a call about guys maneuvering on our other elements position Which was like again like you love hearing that stuff because we own the night through and through you know I'd say any other any other country like I mean, we're still the freaking best freaking fighting force, hands down, especially special operations side. Um, so, yeah, a buddy of mine, um, him, and actually the company commander at that time came along on that operation who was just a, he was like a bad luck magnet. If he was going somewhere, <laughs> shit was going to You didn't happen. want him coming? Well, you, you you take it either way. Like, yeah. if, you well, wanted to, yeah. if you wanted to get ticked up, he was a good guy to invite along. Because, yeah. like, in the weirdest <laughs> places, like, he would get indirect. Like, yeah. he was always a freaking magnet.
0: He's at Burger King getting uh, fucking indirect.
1: Yeah, all the time uh so anyway um his element of course had these dudes creeping up on him so him and a good buddy of mine who um he was running the saw at the time you know got to smoke these dudes right off the bat and at that time of the war it wasn't actually that often that you were going to get direct you know small arms kills for the most part it was going to be hey we see these guys a mile away boom freaking drop them you know which is it's great for the safety aspect not as cool i guess you know for the hollywood aspect so um so, you know, so freaking dusted those guys right off the bat, you know, came right up on them and, and smashed them. Then, uh, they set in position. We moved up to our position on the North end, of, uh, and we were all set. And then because setting IEDs was kind of like setting your home alarm for a lot of those guys, you know, they would literally have like a remote and like beep, beep, you know, and now yeah. we've got my little front porch IED set up. So we very rarely went through thresholds. Um, we would go over or blow through walls as often as possible. So, um. We had figured out exactly where this prison went because it kind of led into another little cool underground area. Um, guys get up to the wall. They freaking place the charge, blow this wall, um, go in, and sure enough, you know, we bust through this, uh, bust through this, like, metal door, and there's, like, 17 freaking dudes just living in this hole, prisoners all shackled and shit. Like, wow. and like, holy fuck, man. Like, this is legitimately exactly what we thought it was, which is rare, you know? Yeah. Um so we pulled all those guys out.
0: Were they in really rough shape?
1: Really rough shape. Like yeah.
0: Half starved and dehydrated. Yeah, like not
1: yeah, like not only just in a hole they couldn't get out of, but shackled to the floor as well, like terrible conditions. So yeah. um we pulled those guys out. And again, like, you know, for those who don't aware too, like just because you pulled someone out of a hole doesn't mean they're a good guy. Um so you still has to treat everybody as a detainee, even the guys you capture. And you let that you clear that shit up later. You know yeah. you can't, you know, accidentally, hey, this guy was actually like a bad guy amongst those dudes and yeah. he's got a grenade under his man dress or whatever. So um
0: Can you describe the smell real quick?
1: Like knockout, like Yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah. Have you ever like I don't know, have you ever, um, like, gone to the bathroom at night and, you know, maybe you didn't flush. Like, you took a, <laughs> you took a piss and you didn't flush. You did not want wake him up. And you wake up in the morning and you open that toilet and you're just like, oh, fuck, dude. Like, that little film of urine. Like, just imagine that times 10. Like, yeah. it was fucking bad. Yeah. So, yeah, so, um, yeah, so we, we pulled those guys out. And after we smoked those first two guys, um, I think everyone kind of realized that, hey, uh, We're not going to fight back anymore. So all the guys for that point that we had detained, we knew they were bad guys, but we can't just smoke dudes, you know, um, especially with like ISR around. You can't just like freaking hammer guys uh, that are giving up. So um, we took all those guys, and we actually ran out of room on the helicopters to bring guys back. So we kind of quickly said, okay, well, these are the guys that are probably the most bad. These guys, I don't know, whatever. Um, So we actually locked them in their own prison. Um, We put them down into the hole, and got our own locks and freaking like locked the their little gated door shut and put them back in their own prison which was entertaining uh, and then just as like an additional fu we like every motorcycle that we found in town which was probably like 50 motorcycles it was a shitload because um, when guys when guys get bored and frustrated they do funny shit you know yeah. hey nobody's fighting us all right well let's fuck with these guys so like yeah. every motorcycle we find we like put in the center of town and then our charlie was like notorious for slaying motorcycles so like or our demo guy our charlie so like he freaking blew up all these freaking motorcycles and left a like, fucking motorcycle crater in the middle of the village. Like, Jesus. Um, we found like all their it was like their so shop for like Taliban swags. So we all came home with like freaking like little Taliban headbands and like, really? flags and all this cool shit. So it yeah, was like cool. it was just super rewarding. You know, again, you get to smoke a couple dudes up close. You get to blow through a wall. You get to freaking like you know pull prisoners out. And then yeah, I mean you get on the uh, that was probably my second to last operation um, in my you know, life, my career. And yeah, like everyone gets back on, you get into i uh, I'm back on the helicopter and you just watch the world go away. Like it's a movie. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Super fun, <clears throat> super fun stuff. That's, yeah. that's the part I miss. Like, yeah.
0: Yeah. You know. So the, the prisoners that you left there, you left them there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no idea what happened. There's, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, we kept ISR on the next day to kind of see, and eventually someone came by and you know, you could see them there pissed off about all the motorcycles and they freaking like. Yeah. you know opened up and let those guys out but it was just one of those things like hey we we can't get another bird here we can't take these dudes we can't we, can't, yeah. we couldn't do anything without them like yeah. we legitimately because every time we flew out we were maxing out like the load limit on these birds you know yeah. think you might have like 35 commandos with machine guns and RPGs and all this shit, like all over across the floor. Like, you know, you can fill up a CH 47 pretty quick. Yeah. You know, I never had a, I never had a chair. I was always on the ramp. I mean, I liked it anyway. I thought it was cool, but um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh,
0: what was your last operation? Was it anticlimactic or? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was the, that was the last one that went kinetic in any way. Um, you know, we had, I think we had maybe one more that I was on again. We tried to do another one out in that far area, but I think word had gotten out be like, Hey, uh, there might be a raid here. So yeah, yeah super quiet. Um, it was cool. It was on Blackhawks and when you flying on Black Hawks with outdoors, it's kind of cool, you know, yeah. but, uh, so yeah, I got a little bit of the Hollywood stuff on it, but that was kind of it. You know, the, the real last one was just a QRF op, you know, we got all gunned up to support a team and, you know, it was actually, uh, I was jealous because a couple of our guys got to go on that op, but the rest of us were back for QRF because they, you know, they just wanted that continuity. If we got activated yeah. for it, because they were going, and it was cool. We had the one sixtieth supporting that one, and like if you ever flown with those guys, man, yeah, it's amazing. So fucking blind. Yeah. like those guys are incredible. It's yeah, like, very different. Yeah, you know than than flying conventional air. Um, and I remember uh, so I always carried a I always carried um. A three twenty, which, you know, for those of you who don't know, it's it's the newer grenade launcher. So not like the under-barrel one that you put on your M4, but it's a standalone. And if you take the buttstock off of that thing, um, it's just like a big-ass pistol. So I didn't carry a Glock for the most of the time, you know, overseas. I usually carried uh, a 40-millimeter. And I had this... uh, I had this one grenade that I had painted up, you know, like pickle rick from Rick and Morty. It was my little missile rick. So I like yeah. had him painted up and he was always like, That was the one that I was gonna go to first. And my frickin the junior Delta on that team. I was like, I had relinquished my forty millimeter. I I'd, I'd given it up. I gave him missile Rick, and he freaking smoked dudes with it. No like, shit. Yeah, man. Like they got into it in that operation, had a couple guys, and free freaking blasted them with my three twenty with my missile yeah. Rick and freaking yeah. like. Well,
0: at least it got used.
1: At least it got used. I was like, yeah. you motherfucker, dude. Yeah. Like, but uh, yeah. But for that one, like I was just in their ops and just monitoring their operation. Yeah. Uh, that didn't. I didn't yeah. get to hop out on it, and I was like, "Son of a bitch!" Good yeah. for you guys. Yeah. Good for a young guy to get into it. Yeah. But, uh, but goddamn it, yeah, goddamn it. Yeah. I spent a lot of time painting that. Yeah.
0: Little thing. All right, guys. As you know, I'm into uh, health and fitness, uh, and specifically how nutrition relates to it. Um, coffee is a, has been a staple of mine, and, and I think most people's for a long time. Um, as you know, I'm a big uh, proponent of Mud Water, which is a sponsor of this show. They have been uh, for a while now, and, and we have a great partnership. I love their product. Um, it's a phenomenal alternative to coffee. Um, for me, you know, coffee, there's jitters, there's mold in it. Uh, you know, a lot of times it tends to, to kind of upset my stomach. Uh, but Mudwater has adaptogenic uh, mushrooms. Um, there's a fraction of the caffeine that coffee has. There's a little bit, but it's very, very little. Um, and it, it really leans on, on mushrooms and the blend of matcha and chai for kind of that sustained energy that, that continues to go and, and doesn't crash the way coffee does when, uh, when it runs out. Uh, they use Lion's Mane for alertness, cordyceps to support physical performance, chaga and raishi to support the immune system, turmeric for soreness, and cinnamon for antioxidants. Um, I, I really enjoy that first cup of warm liquid in the morning by taking mud water instead of coffee, and I'll put uh, just a splash of, of heavy cream uh, or even some protein powder, uh, some collagen powder. Um, and I also throw uh, usually a couple drops of uh, stevia or uh, monk fruit vanilla to make it kind of a, a thick normal morning coffee ritual type of uh, concoction. And uh, I got to tell you it, it, it does wonders for me and, and I'm really really glad that I switched. It's been you know a better part of a year now uh, you know that I've been taking that. Uh, and using that as part of my uh, daily morning routine, and it's fantastic. I love it. I, I can't re- recommend it enough. Uh, it's 100 percent USDA uh, organic, non-GMO, gluten-free, vegan, and kosher certified. Uh, and they also donate to the Berkeley Center for Science of Psychedelics, which is uh, you know groundbreaking and leading research to help veterans with PTSD uh, and other uh, associated illnesses and in, in, uh, syndromes. So. Great cause, great company, phenomenal product. If you go to Mudwater, that's m u d w t r dot com forward slash Mike to support this show and the product, uh, and use the code Mike Mud, M i k e M u d all caps for fifteen percent off. That's again Mudwater, m u d w t r dot com forward slash Mike, and the code is Mike Mud, M i k e M u d all caps for
1: fifteen percent off. Go check them out.
0: So did, did you know at the end of that deployment coming home that that was it for you? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I had already kind of knew that I was going to get picked up for something. I knew that the chances of me going back to Afghanistan were low Yeah, and we were shifting towards Europe. Um, if anything, you know, 10th group had always, 10th group has always been regionally aligned with Europe. I never did a Europe trip my entire time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was either combat or it was stuff in Africa. Um, whereas like, I was just always in the wrong, I want to say the wrong battalion because I love the path that I got, but there's guys who were going on these deployments, like, their whole career was going on European J-sets. You yeah. would go to, like, Greece and Romania and Estonia and Poland and all these places. And, man, the per diem was good. <laughs> like, you look at the yeah. 2nd Battalion parking lot and it's all, like, run-down pickup trucks and just, like, guys who've been going to war for, like, the last however many years. And then you look at the 3rd Battalion parking lot and there's, like, a fucking, like, Porsche and brand-new F-350 King Ranch and all yeah. this shit. And I'm like, huh... <laughs> i can see why they and my wife was just like hey all my friends are like getting out of debt and like you know like yeah. buying new houses and, and like shit. doing well and like why do you have to be the one i was like yeah you know i bet those guys kind of wish they were doing what we were doing yeah to a point yeah, you know for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah so i never did i never did a single europe trip in 10th wow. group yeah yeah that's amazing
0: yeah um all right so coming home um I'd like to kind of get into your transition out. Uh, I mean, I know we talked about you kind of going through the issues you had with, uh, with that operation. Was there, were there other things that you struggled with or was that kind of the main? No.
1: Yeah, that was it. Um, Anything else that I had, anything else that I'd done or been involved in uh, really, really didn't affect anything. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was all just developing. Uh, And ultimately this is developing as well. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that was the only thing kind of holding back. But, um i was i was in a very unique position where there's not a lot of officers who are um mountain qualified it's very rare that somebody goes through and I was the most likely opportunity is going to be like my case where i went through as an nco you know and then commissioned after that so um i was told hey man I, either you can go to bragg to go do this whatever planning you know j5 position as a warrant uh or you can go take the mountain school and you cannot move well, that's clearly an easy choice for me. Yeah. So um, I came in to be the operations warrant for the school and just ended up being the commander of that school for three years. We never got a, we never got a captain or a major or anything there. So it was just me. It was me and my wow. senior NCO running the course for three years. Damn, that's and, cool. It was great. Yeah. And, you know, he was, um, to this day, like, I, like a lot of my success in the mountain operations is, is definitely on his shoulders because he had been a guide before he came in the Army. He was an incredible climber. He's really smart. And, like, his ability to help translate and for us to build uh, what the mountain program should be. Like, I don't know very many other people that we could have had such a successful product if uh, if I wasn't working, like, with him on it. Yeah. And to the point to where, like, when I say, like, we wrote the program, like, we literally legitimately rewrote the entire, um, like, 350-12, 350-34, like, the manuals that Army Special Operations and Special Operations Command overall uses for everything. So, like, wow. like we were it. Like, we were the, we were the latest author, authors for the entire mountain program for Special Operations.
0: Damn, that's wild. And it
1: was we had those conversations a lot. Like, we were always punching way outside of our rank because what's funny is as, as unknown as the mountain skill set is, the way they have it set up is the mountain school is the lead component for mountain operations for the Army. The Army is the lead component to mountain operations to special operations. So it's almost like you wear all these hats inadvertently to wear yeah. like, hey, yeah, I'm the, I'm the OIC and the operations warrant for the mountain school here where I've got 18 cadre, but I'm also the advisor to the SOCOM commander on mountain operations and yeah. all that shit. So it's like all wow. of a sudden it's that thing. You pull, you pull back the curtain and you expect to see the experts and there's a fucking mirror there. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know? You're like, Jesus, is, it, is anybody gonna yeah. challenge us? Because every are we time that fucked up dude, every time we ask someone, be like, Hey man, this is what we're thinking. What do you guys think? Well, you guys are the experts. They're like, Well, what do you guys think? We're like, fuck. <clears throat> like Ken. Ken was my, my counterpart. I was like, Ken, like, nobody's questioning us. Yeah. We can do whatever we want. And I don't like that, but I do like that. Yeah. You know, so yeah, yeah. it was it was awesome. And I think the program is legitimately in the best place it's ever been. You know, like, super realistic mission sets. Guys are, like, guys are freaking, like, jumping at, you know, static line jumping at, like, the absolute max limit of the parachute in sub-freezing temps. These guys are operating at, like, negative 30 degrees. Base camp ops, like, you know, their ability is freaking outstanding right now, like, on the mountainside. uh, What's the budget, the annual budget for the mountain program? So we were... Um, we were about half a mil is generally what we were given. And we were always stretching that. And honestly, the only reason it really worked was because we didn't have as many cadre as we needed. You know, it was just... Being, I would have thought
0: it'd be way more
1: than that. It, it could have been, and it will be. But the mountain program, again, it's always been the stepchild of specialty skills. Yeah. So, you know who owns it well 10th group owns it but it really should belong to swick but swick is doing free fall for all so they don't have the billets for it It was always a back and forth uh, which was one of our many challenges we worked with yeah. but um yeah so we were able to make it happen but the good thing is like you know you find ways to save money and to maximize training and one of the funny stories about how we did that was um so the mountain course you have to learn how to ski like we determined a couple years ago that putting guys on snowshoes is not the freaking right answer like if you want to move quickly and efficiently through the mountains and you want to be actually be skilled in something, you need to learn how to ski. Is it
0: telemark skiing?
1: No, regular no AT yeah. skiing. So all the bindings, you can release the heel and you can put skins on, you can go uphill, but the actual like, downhill portion, it's a locked in heel. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, cause you can teach anyone to snowshoe, you can put snowshoes on anybody. It doesn't increase your efficiency. You know, in fact, it's like terribly slow. Yeah. So, um, a couple of years ago we said, yeah, if you're going to be a qualified mountain guy, you're going to be a skier. Yeah. So, um, you know we all went and we all got certified as a ski instructor like i'm a certified ski instructor i'm certified in like uh like avalanche study and all that stuff because we do a lot with avalanches too yeah um so yeah like at this point the guys are able to ski because we do like two weeks of downhill ski training at the beginning and yeah. here's where people don't like hearing it like we're like the guys go to veil yeah when guys hear veil they think we're fucking off and here's where it gets even worse the place we're staying is called the veil racket club <laughs> like How do you think they, what do you think their reaction was when like, hey guys, we're going to change the POI and we're going to be staying at the racket club. They were like, you guys are fucking off. That's all you're doing. I'm like, no, let me tell you something. It's closer to the training area. There's ice climbing that you can walk to. Nobody has to have rental cars. Three guys are staying in a room where they have a kitchen. Like everything about it made sense. Like we were closer to the training area. It was cheaper People didn't like the optics. Them. Fun. They didn't like the optics of it. Yeah. yeah, they were just like, "Oh, the Racket Club, oh bougie <laughs> shit." I'm like, "Eh, you know, come yeah. come do a course with us and, and and tell me how easy it is." You yeah. know, like yeah. so, I've never had anybody show up and be like, "This is too easy." Yeah. Although I do have guys who have said, if I would ever, if I could ever repeat a course, I would gladly do either of the mountain courses again. Just oh, cause really? It, yeah. So much fun. Yeah, and even yeah. even the guys on the other side of the fence too. And I like. There's very few courses that they go to that are army courses because yeah. they don't need to. They've got civilian courses or whatever, but um, like our mountain course and, you know, our sniper course are some of the ones that like, Hey, they consistently go to because it's, it is that like, yeah. it's good. Yeah. That's uh, awesome.
0: Uh, before we get into your transition out, when you shave your beard, do you look like Paul Rudd? I don't know.
1: I don't know if I've don't know. i got that. I, I got Matt Damon. I used to, when I shaved the beard and the mustache, um, yeah. I go between mustache and beard generally. I, yeah. I barely ever go clean shaving. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, all right. So you transition out. Yeah. Um, or you, you decide, okay, you, you did your three years there, it's time to pull chalks. Yeah. Was that at all a family decision or was it pretty much your?
1: Uh, it was a joint decision, but yeah. I didn't know that that was going to be my last position because once I got to the point, and it really creeps up to the point where it's like, oh my gosh, I could retire. Yeah. I could have put my retirement pack in six months ago. You know, yeah. I'm that close to where if I literally just wanted to walk out, I could, you know, yeah. g- generally. So uh, I told myself that when I stop having a passion for the job, and when it seems more like work is when I would find something else to do. And I kind of hit that point, you know, GWAT was over and I'm a GWAT generation guy. That's everything known. I known was all surrounded about that. I wasn't super hyped on Eastern Europe. I wasn't super hyped on Ukraine. And honestly, like my position, I was no longer gonna be a team guy. Like I, I'd, gotten, I'd gotten selected to, uh, as for W3, uh, which I turned down. Um, and that would have put me in a company position. And you know, it's just not as intriguing to like, Manage the other warrants and make sure their training plans look good. Look at their deployment plan. It was just like the whole management part of it from that aspect wasn't as intriguing to me. So I kind of decided. I talked to my wife. I was like, "Hey, I think I'm ready to do something else." And you know, my aperture was pretty small. I was like, "Maybe I'll be like a hot shot trucker. I'll just get like a truck and drive around or like non CDL work because yeah. I, you know, I enjoy driving and stuff." But like yeah. I really had this ambition to just like disappear. You yeah, know, I was like, oh, "I'm just gonna be a nobody," and that sounds fun to me. Yeah, like. I want to show up with a name tag and I want, I just, I just want to be that guy. You know, that's who I am. Fucking great man. No background. Just don't even ask me where I came from or what I've done. Like I just want to disappear because I was like, well, with my retirement, I can get a pretty benign job and like, we'll be okay. Yeah. And, uh, it really wasn't until recently that I was like, dude, what the, what am I thinking? Like, you know, these guys, like, you know, my generation, my guys who are all getting out or have just gotten out dude, these guys can and should be dominating. Yeah. You know, changing the world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, cause they had the ability to, yeah. So,
0: so there was a, a pivot moment for you. Yeah. Um, what I guess beyond, I mean, I, I guess we kind of know what sparked it, but yeah. Um, what was the first step of like, okay, I needed, what, what am I doing? I need to do something. What was that first, first leap?
1: So the, the first one was kind of like, um, I get, it was like, I had a little bit of hope that kind of got sprinkled in, and it was with, you know, coincidentally, like, you know, we talked about the, the company HVMN, so when we originally got connected, it was because they had a sponsored study through SOCOM to test exogenous ketones at altitude to see if it would protect against hypoxia, you know, how, how ketones could fuel the brain, because there is a cognitive loss when you're up at altitude. I've, I've experienced it personally. Like, um, you know, I remember specifically one time I was doing I was guiding two students on a multi-pitch repel, So, you know, those who aren't aware, the kind of way that works is you're going to set up a rappel, and the length is longer than your length of rope, so you're going to rappel down to an intermediate place, you're going to build another anchor, and then you're going to set ropes again and go down. So as the guide, you know, I would set up the anchor, and I would make sure that all of their setups were good and their rappels were, were safe. I would rappel down, set up the next anchor, those guys come down, we pull ropes, and we start all over. So I was at the second pitch, about to go down to the ground, and... I got everything set up. I checked all their stuff. And I've always been very, uh, very precise in my safety, almost like a JMPI for jump master. You've got a posi- you've got to, you know sequence you go through. That way, if anything's out of the ordinary, you'll spot it right away. And uh, so I was doing that with myself. I was tracing my ropes up to my belay device, up through the anchor. I was like, okay, I'm safe. Um, tested my backup. And when you test your backup, you're leaning back against your rappel to where your safety lanyard isn't catching. That way you know your rappel is holding you. So I leaned back on it, it caught, I took off my safety lanyard, and it's like sheer drop behind me. Like, um, And I like start moving my backup up so I can start rappelling, and it was like kind of jerky, and I'm like leaned back over the cliff, and I'm like, man, what is not right? Um, I look up, and I see that I didn't even like attach my rappel device. Like, Holy shit. it was like complete, like, I was just, oh my gosh, I can't believe I freaking did that. You know, that's not something I would ever do. But that was, that's when you work at altitude, like sometimes you do weird shit like that. And guys have a lot of stories about, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I forgot to do this or I didn't do this. Yeah. Um, so when the study came around, you know, I was like, dude, I am completely on board with making my guys think better at altitude. Yeah. Um, and I just, you know, look back to be like, yeah, hey man, like what if that backup hadn't caught, you know, what what kind of story would those students have had? You know, yeah. they'd have been like, yeah, uh, he was standing there, and he said, all right, guys, see at the bottom, and he just backed off and died. Like, yeah. that's what their story would have been. Oh, um, dude, so, yeah, the mountains. What elevation were you at? Uh, I think we were about 7,000. Uh, no, I think it's probably about 8,500 yeah. in that area. So not even, like, super, not even, like, very high. Yeah, but, um, high enough. still high enough, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so when that study came on, they were like, Hey man, like we want to try this. And I was like, yeah, great. So for the next three years, really almost the entire time I was in that position, I was facilitating testing for SOCOM for ketones. Um, and I was like, man, like the first iteration of it tastes terrible. This one isn't great. But the first iteration was worse. Yeah. Like it was really freaking bad. Um, but like, the guys liked it. They're like, man, this works. And I do feel freaking clear. And anyone's ever gone on a keto diet. Um, once they get on it, they say, hey, man, I'm actually not tired. And I freaking think really clearly. Like so, And that's kind of where it goes and what it does. Um, but either way, kind of circling back to like how that all happened. Um, when I told them, I still didn't know what I was going to do. But when I told the company, hey, I'm going to pass you off to somebody else because I'm retiring. This guy's going to coordinate all this stuff for now. And you know, they reached out and said, hey, man, you, you know this better than most. And we think with your background, you might be a good fit with the company. And when we started talking about it, um, I told my wife and I was like, you know what, it's kind of like, I think I might actually enjoy doing this. Like something I believe in, it works, you know, it'd be fun to be a part of that. Um, Cause I can tell you, like if you'd asked me if I was one to get out and like sling supplements, you know, I yeah. would have told you, I have absolutely no desire to do that, you know, but yeah. uh, it, it was different enough and it worked enough that I was like, dude, if I could, if I could do everything I can to get this into the hands of the guys that were me five, 10 years ago to where, before they get on the bird, they're not slamming six ribbits, you know, or freaking that they actually take something that's going to work and be good for them. Like, that's like, that's the end goal. So yeah, like the, you know, the institutional side and like talking to sports teams and like getting all that stuff is great. But like, ultimately, like my heart isn't getting it to the special operator. Um, and then it's one of those things that when you surround yourself with high performers, you, they elevate you up. And the more I get involved with the company, I work with the co-founders, guys that are, like, super smart, big-time entrepreneurs. Uh, I'm just like, man, like, I could be that. I could be those guys. And then you start seeing more successful guys, like, you know, with the show that you're doing. And you look at what Tim Kennedy's doing. And you look at what freaking Nick Laver you've got, you've got his book over there. Like, um, you talk to frickin', uh, dang it, I can't remember the guy's name. Guy with the tattoos, all of his, um, marine. Cody Alfred. Cody, You talked to Cody Alfred, yeah. And, like, I followed him on Instagram, and I saw what he's doing. I was like, dude, there's guys who are getting out, and they are doing really freaking well. Yeah. And, you know, that's why an additional part of, like, what I can hope to apply to guys as they're getting out is, like, look, like, you can go down two roads, and either one is acceptable. Like, there's no judging. It's not like if you don't get out and try to, like, freaking, like, grow your empire, I'm going to look down on you. Anyway. I, never, I would never do that. Um, but to know for those guys that the opportunity is there, like, especially GWAT guys. Like, you've got – Marcus's brother he just went to congress right like yeah. freaking awesome you yeah. know like guys that guys that care about this country guys who sacrificed everything for the country who are now at a point to where they think that their government is willing to lie to them because they have they're fucking hungry yeah they're hungry to be CEOs they're hungry to be in politics yeah. and they're hungry to freaking take shit back yeah you know and that's not like in an aggressive threatening sort of way but it is like guys are like You know, and and they have that ability and fuck enough is enough. That is the GWAT generation, which is why, again, I'm I'm adamant that like 10, 15, 20 years down the road, like GWAT generation is going to, I won't say run the country, but they are, they are going to freaking like be very influential in everything we do because these guys have a passion. They've seen the bullshit. They also know violence, which is important. Yeah. You know, because people who know violence don't seek violence. Yeah. You know, true violence. Yeah. You know, you know, your policymakers. They're guys that know that they're never have to. They're going to never be on the receiving end, and their kids are never going to be on the receiving end of a bullet. Yeah, you know, so they can make decisions willy nilly. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'd say that for guys that are like, man, I'm going to get out and just dig holes, dude. Yeah. If that's what you yeah. want to do, you just want to drive trucks, dude. Freaking do it. Be yeah. the best truck driver you can. But I guarantee, like with your skill set and your mentality, you could be very successful. Yeah.
0: Well, and I think that's a, a brilliant point, and I think to to further that is that you know, the the state of the country is a direct reflection of the collective mean total of its citizens and what they're willing to put up with. Yeah. You know, and so like if the country is, is in a sad state of affairs, like, well, wh- what are you doing about it? Yeah. You know, and if the answer is, well, I'm just being a gray man and I don't want to rock any boats. Well, then you, you don't really get to bitch then. Yeah. You know, like if you're not willing to either create a platform or, inspire change in, in some way or, or do something that's a net positive, not to say that digging ditches and, and whatever, you know, um, you know, driving trucks, I mean, you, you name it. Uh, not that that's not a net positive to society because, yeah. you know, God knows, you know, the, the country needs a significant infrastructure that that's yeah. built around, uh, you know, jobs like that. However, uh, to your point, I think you know having guys that that have been all over the world, that have seen behind the curtain of our government in a lot of different ways. You know, yeah. in the military and three letter agencies, and in actual politics, and you know, and yeah. you know that that's what's going to be the difference between the you know the, the cycle of hard times create fucking strong men. Yeah, you know that that if, if we don't take the guys who have that experience, uh, who know violence, who who understand the way the world works, and and that know what, what's right yeah. is and, and willing to to go sacrifice and, and be that change and make a difference, then, uh, then our country's fucked, you know. Yeah, so
1: exactly. Like, um, you know, and I, I put this out, you know, as the, as the pitch, if anyone is in a hiring position out there, man, look for soft guys. Yeah. Conventional too, but obviously I'm biased to it. But, like, yeah. these guys are problem solvers. Yeah. And, you know, like, they will enhance your company like no other. Yeah. You know, there's team guys and, like, that's their mentality. They don't. Guys don't like to fail, yeah. and they're known for doing the most with the little, with the yeah. least amount. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah, and that's yeah, see yeah. what's going to dominate.
0: So speaking of uh, of morning routine and really throughout the day, you know, health and fitness and overall well being is something that uh, I focus on as I get older. I get more and more kind of in tune with what works and what doesn't. Um, <clears throat> and I recently started working with uh, Ketone IQ, which is HVMN. Uh, dot com um this product is uh is a really really good way to start the day uh, as well as basically just anytime you need uh, a boost from an energy standpoint uh, you're getting ready to do something physically demanding mentally demanding uh you know before i record i take a shot first thing in the morning i do before workouts uh, to recover after workouts um you know I, i take it multiple times a day um and it's, I mean, there's no sugar, it's vegan, there's no caffeine, there's no salt, gluten, no artificial flavors or sweeteners. Uh, and it, it works from a, a ketogenic standpoint, uh, giving your brain and body the fuel uh, that it needs to do tasking um, uh, tasks. So, you know, it, it's a phenomenal product, uh, an amazing company. That's HVMN.com. And the code is drop all one word, all caps for 20% off. Uh, I can't recommend this product enough for... Um, again, getting going in the morning, uh, pre-workout, post-workout. Uh, you're tired in the afternoon. Uh, it's a, a super healthy way to feed your brain and your body from that uh, kind of glycogen replenishment standpoint that, uh, that tends to crash a lot of people when they're using caffeine products or carb products, etc. So uh, I love this stuff. Uh, I use it uh, several times throughout the day, uh, and I encourage you guys to, to check it out as well. It's uh, hvmn.com. And that code is Drop for 20% off, all caps, all one word. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, because you think about it, most most of the generation of guys are in their 30s and 40s, you know. So 20 years from now, 50s and 60s, that's uh, what most politicians and big CEOs and, and big policy drivers, decision makers, et cetera, are in that yeah. in that group, you know. So, I mean, to me, that that is encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you like, know, from, from my perspective, but look
1: at, look at what, what Evan did with black rifle. Yeah. You know, I had the opportunity to sit down with him last week and kind of hear intimately his story of like literally selling his TA 50 out of his garage to fund like coffee making shit. Yeah. And look what they're at right now. Yeah. You know, like guys who are hungry can succeed yeah. for sure. Um, and it's going to be a culture shock. It still is for me. Like, yeah. you know, even getting the position I'm in right now where it's like, Hey, you know, I am, I am, building a sales team so we can let people know what this is and coordinate all that stuff. Like I still hear terms that it's just like, Hey, this is, um, Hey, w- your CPMs or your customer acquisition, like all these acronyms and all these yeah. like data tracking methods to see like filling the sales funnels and all that stuff. Like Conversion it's rates. all new and it's all that. Yeah. But I have to look at it the same way as like, if somebody, if I explain to somebody like max effective range of a particular round, based off of the grains and the barrel twists and like to them it would sound like okay just tell me how far generally I and tell me does it go bang when I pull the trigger does it hurt when it hits somebody okay well that's good enough you know um, it's the vice versa so again it's going to be a learning curve getting to the corporate world and understanding that but um, you know even like flexing social media that's something that we shied away from for a long time you know using that as a valuable tool as well so um, yeah yeah, it's going to be different there's going to be culture shock but man when you're in it yeah like Guys will do really well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So with Ketone IQ, I mean, how, how would you uh, kind of describe what exactly like what's your main deal with him? I know in, in yeah. the bio, it's you know institutional government sales, but what, like what yeah. does that mean?
1: Yeah. So what that means is, you know, for the product, we have a we have a couple different ways that people would get the product into their hands. You know, you've got direct consumer So if someone was going to go on the website or Amazon, or they could go right on, they could order Ketone IQ at you know at our retail cost there. And there's the retail side, which is if you are a store, uh, or any, in any way, if you intend to take the product from us and sell it to other people, you can get it that way as well. So we have a retail lead that I work with. Um, now the institutional side, that's, you plan to buy in bulk in order to distribute. So if you were a sports team, if you ran a gym, if you were a unit or a government organization it says hey we want to buy as much of this as possible that way we can give it out to guys before they go on operations or before they go work out or whatever um that's my lane so i i work with with organizations like that that would do that so the biggest part of it right now is just education it's very new now key you know ketosis and studying like that is not new it's over you know 100 years old we first started seeing people using ketosis to treat different things but um exogenous ketones and the ability to just drink it and instantly enter ketosis is a fairly new thing so a lot of it's like hey guys it doesn't taste that great We're working on that got it <laughs> but your anaerobic your aerobic your cognitive function everything is improved being on ketones and the reason why again it was like oh my things my water is better than your water because if you drink it it makes you superman no like it's like scientifically if you look at the way that um ketones work. There's only so many things that can fuel your body. And if you have to look at your body as a multi-fuel generator, you know, you've got the diesel generator that runs the stadium lights and can go for freaking 2 days straight on barely any, you know, barely anything. And then you also have race cars that need to run on freaking 120 octane race fuel or av fuel or whatever. And your body is like that. Depending on what you're doing and what your output is will determine what kind of fuel your body needs. Ketones are an incredibly efficient fuel. That's diesel fuel. So, by having that on your body, whenever you're not pushing extremely hard and you're just going basically day-to-day stuff or even like long range movements when you're not inc- like really increased heart rate, you're gonna be running off ketones, which means your glycogen stores aren't being used. So in guys that have a zero to a hundred style job, like firefighters, police officers, special operators, where it's like, you could be patrolling all day, not doing shit. And then all of a sudden it goes down and it's time to perform. And now you're carrying somebody and now you're sprinting with gear on. like. Now you have all those glycogen stores still that you can dip into. Like I haven't used my race gas because I'm running on ketones, so it's an efficiency thing too. Yeah. Um,
0: have you run into any um, like if let, let's say in that same example is that um, you're taking ketone ketones so that you don't deplete glycogen, mm-hmm. but then you end up not going into the balls to the wall mode mm-hmm. in in terms of okay, well now I've I've got all this extra glycogen and I'm running off ketones, like, is there a concern or have you seen any uh, effects of of weight gain or, uh, you know, if you're, if you're taking this stuff every day and not blowing your wad, so to speak, uh, that 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 can happen?
1: No, like you uh, honestly, you have to, like, there's times where you have to remind yourself to eat because when, like, there's a couple reasons why people get hungry. One is like, it could be legitimately like you're addicted to sugar because it is an Sugar cane, cocaine they're very close because they're incredibly addictive you know so um when you're on ketones and your body is fueling you don't get the signal to eat yeah like which is again it's like hey if i know i'm doing something but i'm running on ketones like i have to make sure that i eat something yeah. you know that way i've got that there um a big area that we just started moving into as a result of a, of a study we just did um is in the crossfit and anaerobic side because you know, our original target audience that was doing really well with the product, it was like super like ultra endurance athletes, or like, there's like a huge percentage of the Tour de France riders that use ketones. Um, Unfortunately, guys don't like talking about it, because it's, it's a blessing and a curse. It's like, it's great that your stuff's so good that they don't want to tell other people what they're using. It also sucks because then they don't promote your stuff unless you want to pay them for it. So it's like, I like nobody like you don't have to pay somebody to drink Gatorade in front of people, like it's yeah. just a staple. Yeah. Whereas like Ketone IQ is special enough, like I'm a huge motorcycle fan too. And like, we've got Supercross riders, you know, they're like guys reaching out to dudes that, you know, we're partners with and I was like, dude, I've been using that shit for years. And I was like, thanks for letting me know. Dude. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's out there, it's being used, but a lot of it's being used kind of secretively because yeah. like guys are like really liking it. But yeah. um, on the CrossFit side or the anaerobic side, we just did a study at uh, UNG uh, which is one of the biggest military um, associated colleges in, in the country. And they just finished a test over a year where they wanted to see if there was anaerobic benefit to exogenous ketones, first one ever done. And like, we were blown away by the study because what they found, and they, they put us through the system, they put us through the test too. you know, you do the 5k on a VO2 max, uh, then you do a Wingate exercise where you're doing um, bicycle sprints with the brake on, you know, with only a certain amount of brake and then full exertion again. And what they found is the difference between guys who were in the placebo group and the guys who were uh, running on ketones, their power output and velocity was like 50 watts or some like obnoxious increase to where it's like the difference between like a first and 15th place in a pro race, like a wow. huge difference. Yeah. And we didn't understand really why. We were like, wow, why does it do that? Well, one, it looks like, and again, the study I expect within this month it's gonna get released, and it's gonna freaking blow the science world up. So like, you're just getting like you're getting the tip here. Yeah, <laughs> just the tip, <laughs> if that's okay. Yeah. You guys are getting the tip. I'll take the tip. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's better than that. I'll take what I can get. <laughs> it's better than. Yeah. Nothing. Um but uh, yeah. So uh, there's two ways that can be. One is that it's because of the glycogen stores. It's the fact that like that entire time you were doing that exercise, you were running on ketones. To when it was time to go hard, you had everything you needed without having to refuel. Yeah. Um,
0: so for. Like di- directions from, from yeah. your standpoint, from having been involved for, for years now, Yeah. let's say, you know, you're, you're going to do either a hard CrossFit workout, you know, an hour long jujitsu session, a, yeah. you know, a super fucking intense weight workout. I mean, whatever, where yeah. you're digging deep, mm-hmm. how would you take that uh, in response to that? Would it be 30 minutes before, an hour before, two hours before? Yeah.
1: So dosing, dosing wise, um, and, and timing protocol, I would give it thirty to forty-five minutes before, you know, and judge by your own metabolism. So I have a very uniquely slow metabolism um, to, to the point to where, like, if I drink alcohol, I won't, I won't get the effects of it for hours after. Oh wow, which is frustrating, yeah. especially when you go to a team party yeah. and you drink and you go Be- home and you wake up drunk. Like, yeah. it's no, I don't drink anymore. But
0: being <laughs> in Colorado, you're taking edibles like weeks in advance. Then oh yeah yeah yeah
1: uh, yeah yeah exactly. Yeah. Alternative medicine. Yeah yeah. But, uh,
0: so generally speaking, if you, you know, you're yeah. going to go do a hard CrossFit competition yeah. or something, I would 10, do, yeah, I would 30, do like 40. 30
1: minutes before. And then, you know, what I've been seeing, especially for guys who are like bigger, I'm a smaller dude, you know, I'm like 155 pounds generally, but, uh, for bigger dudes, I would take a double dose. If you know that you're going to be anaerobic and you're going to be pushing hard. Yeah. If you're going to be doing like a long duration stuff, if you're doing like an ultra or you're doing like I didn't an ultra, like if you're running any sort of longer distance where you're not going to be sprinting, I would take one 30 to 45 minutes before. And then maybe two hours later, I would top off, Um, you know, I would take another, but just for like general day to day, just being in the zone and just feeling like, feeling like you're thinking well, and you're like sharp and you're recalling well, um, I would just do one. It stacks super well with coffee. Like, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing, like, it's not a competitor to coffee. Like, it's not a, um, it's not a stimulant, you know, coffees and sugars, caffeine, like, those are stimulants. They're made to like flip you on. This is legitimately a fuel source. So like stack those things together, like coffee and ketones is like yeah. a freaking brilliant combo.
0: Yeah. So with the with the bottle jug, the yep. sir, there's 10 1.2-ounce 10 servings, you're saying, yeah. and I'm, I'm a fucking idiot when it comes to milliliters <laughs> versus ounces. So, I mean, yeah. so,
1: I'll make it easy because we're actually changing that design um we, yeah you've like got me. yeah it's like well you want a dose but it's 35 milliliters but our dosing cup has a 30 and a 40 so we're gonna put what the heck you know we're actually changing that minimizing the waste putting tick marks on the bottles you know yeah. good stuff and like make makes sense but yeah. um no so these single serve shots um these are basically a double right or almost no so it's the same each one is the same amount of ketones it's oh, okay. just the amount of liquid to deliver it i got gotcha. you so Whereas in the multi serve bottle, it's thirty five milliliters a dose, but it good, delivers ten uh, uh, milligrams of, of ketones. Okay. Uh, whereas the shots, same amount of ketone, a little bit more liquid. So yeah. I think people like the shots better because it's a little bit more diluted. Yeah. Um, they're a lot more convenient. Mm-hmm. So like honestly, like we're uh, have trouble keeping them on the shelves at this point because yeah. like, they've really blown up and they're yeah. fairly new. Product. But you
0: would take two of them before a.
1: If I yeah, if I was gonna if I was gonna do something hard or work out like anytime I'm doing resistance training, mm-hmm. um, even like if I'm lifting weights, especially like if I'm really shooting for PR, like taking um, I'm taking two of these yeah. things. Like my my current like l- weightlifting stack on it um, is I take like whatever supplement I'll just name it. Obviously, they don't they don't pay me, but I take freaking Total War yeah. and like two ketones. And holy fuck, dude! Like yeah, <laughs> yeah. sexual um, tyrannosaurus. Oh man, dude! I feel like I I can like. Yeah, like yeah. hitting PRs, wanting yeah. to freaking run through a wall. And, and I'm getting, you know, guys that I'm pushing it out to, because this is fairly new advice because yeah. we just found this out, um, are coming back and be like, dude, I freaking like my PR, I went for four reps a week later or whatever. I'm not saying like everyone's going to have that results, but freaking yeah. I can tell you personally and the guys that are reaching out, like, you know, I'm definitely able to push through. Yeah. And some people are want, well, there's a theory, it's called the central governor. Um, it's basically saying that there's a part of your brain that will limit your ability to push before it actually needs to happen so it's like hey we know you're getting a little low on energy a little low on food so we're going to tell you that you're fatigued before you're actually fatigued as a safety mechanism Mm -hmm. um and again it's just kind of a theory that gets talked about a lot and you know i I can buy it especially because you know the cognitive benefits of of running on ketones is that it kind of covers up that to where you can really push through what you actually have yeah. and uh, because you've got a fuel source and it's not like, Hey, you're too tired. It's like, no man, freaking keep going. You got it. Yeah. Which is, you know, again, is, is it the mental aspect or is it the glycogen stores? Is it a combination of both that's yeah. giving you that anaerobic part that we'd never even explored before? Yeah. So oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, it's
0: uh, it's really fascinating and, uh, and exciting stuff, honestly, especially for, you know, both the obvious military mm-hmm. benefits and the performance world. But uh, it's, that's great what you're doing, man. Is that, is that your main gig? I'm assuming.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. it, you yeah. know, and I'm, I'm I'm definitely getting more and more intrigued as I, like, you know, talk to guys who are doing cool things, you know, yeah. Jeff Wu, one of our co-founders, um, you know, he's freaking all over the place, you know, starting companies, selling companies, freaking, like, palling around with freaking, like, he was hanging out with, like, Ashton Kutcher and Jake Paul last weekend, like, just super rock star like stuff all business oriented it's not just like flaunting stuff yeah but it definitely makes me wonder it's like man like how how big can i go how much of an empire can i build and it, this is really just the start yeah I mean, i've never invested i've been yeah. a paycheck to paycheck guy yeah. running my family my entire career so yeah. now it's like dude like sky's the limit sky's the limit yeah. you know? yep amen so,
0: well it's fascinating shit man you have a great story um anything else you want to uh cover before we wrap up
1: no, I don't think so, man. Like I just appreciate the opportunity to to come on and tell yeah. a story, and like you no, know, it's
0: a that's a fascinating story, and and I, I think especially in in hearing you kind of uh, delve into the uh, kind of mental trauma and, and the you know, issues that you've had to work through uh, are both imperative uh, for veterans and uh, you know other folks who have been through traumatic experiences as well as. Um, encouraging yeah. uh, for for all of those folks as well for uh, for those same reasons is that I think it gives people hope and and encouragement to uh, to understand that you know there there's a time to to work through it and yeah. and, and it needs to happen you know because I, one thing I've seen in, in a lot of guys is that kind of in a similar fashion is that when you're in that fight or flight mode of something very traumatic like that happens and you, and you like by default you're just not in a place where you can work through it or deal with it like you you have to suppress it is that 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 will work for a period of time uh, but it it will come back and and then the unfortunate part is is that not only is it going to come back it's going to rear its head uh, at the most inconvenient times and it's going to do it uh, and and generally hurt
1: the people that you love the most you know Um, that's 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 such a huge part of it because again we're very good at we're very good at being in the zone and we're very good at doing the job as necessary, but when we put that stuff away, yeah, we forget about it and we never bring it back. Yeah, and I'm sure, unfortunately, you probably heard just like I've heard, you know, it's not that rare. To, unfortunately, you'll get that call, and be like, hey, you know, so and so, yeah, he just killed himself. Yeah, like, what no, I, fuck? I thought that guy was fine. Yeah, well, look, <clears throat> RG Watt guys, ten years down the road, five years down the road, that you're gonna have a couple directions to go. Yeah. you know, so I just like. You know, if, if there was to drive-a-point home for guys, uh, it's that, like, look, even if you don't think it's a big deal, even if, like, you just talk to somebody because, like, what's, what's really the worst that can happen? You know, you go in there and they say, yeah, I think you're handling this really well. You've, you've developed your own mechanisms that are working well. Have a great day. You know, let's come back and see me. Or it's going to be, like, you're going to break something open and be like, holy cow, you know. Yeah. And who knows where that would have gone when you don't have buddies checking on you when yeah. you're not so busy, which is probably why... Guys go. So the guys are too busy to deal with this shit. Yeah. But when things slow down, yeah, that's, that's when fun comes back. So, yeah. You yeah know, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, super inspiring. I appreciate you sharing all that. I know it's it's tough, and uh, and you've been through a lot. And um, I know that a lot of people will benefit from hearing hearing your story. So thank you for sharing it. Yeah. I hope so.
1: Again, just thanks yeah. for the opportunity.
0: Oh, absolutely. In uh, in a new mic drop tradition, uh, before we wrap up here, we also have a gift. A couple of gifts, actually, for the guests. This is by Champions Choice Silver. Oh, shoot. uh, And a good buddy, John, out in uh, Otay, California, has has facilitated all this. There's a coin with uh, the mic drop uh, thing. And then also uh, this this box is for you as well to to commemorate your experience here on the Mic Drop podcast.
1: Oh, man. That's legit. This is a freaking... Yeah,
0: so uh, really, really cool mic drop Sick. buckles that are custom made by uh, a company that makes Dang really, really cool like championship, uh, you know, cowboy belt buckles. So
1: dude, this is right yeah. up, this is right up my alley. Awesome. Too. Yeah, oh, I it. Yeah, I'm gonna wear it. I'll send you a picture. Yeah, shortly. great. Yeah, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll definitely rock it. So awesome, man. Yeah, thank you. very th- much. Thank
0: you for coming. Hope you appreciate it. Thanks to to John Johnston and uh, Champion Choice Silver. Also, we appreciate your support.
1: Yeah, awesome stuff.
0: Uh, to you guys, the listener. I hope you enjoyed uh, another fascinating guest. Appreciate everything that he that he has done for this country and continues to do. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you didn't, feel free to choke yourself. And until <laughs> next time, this is Mike Drop.